chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Oh, Father, now we confess that without your spirit, without divine aid, Lord, these words would fall on deaf ears. Lord, we, just on the surface of this passage of this great text, Lord, we, uh, we fall so short. Help us, Lord, uh, by the strength of of the Spirit, through the words of Christ. Sanctify us, Lord. Make us more like you. In praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of the Apostle Paul, when he was in the Philippian prison, there was a great earthquake. And the earthquake made the jail, the prison, kind of fall apart, and a lot of the inmates began to escape. But Paul and his companions stayed where they were. And there's a story about the Philippian jailer who was about to kill himself because he knew that if the inmates under his watch were to escape, that he was to be punished. And so as he lifted up the sword to kill himself, Paul yells out and he says, Brother, do no harm to yourself for we are still here. And when the Philippian jailer came and saw, he looked at them and he said, What must I do to be saved? Another story, well-known story, not in the Bible. Jim Elliott and four other missionary friends went to Ecuador to minister to the, uh, the Akua Indians who had never heard of Jesus, never had really had any interaction with outsiders. And they tried to establish contact by landing their little prop plane in the middle of the jungle. The Akua Indians came and killed all five of the missionaries. <clears throat> Years later, Jim Elliott's family, his, his wife and his kids, moved in with the Akua Indians to share the gospel with them and to live life. Maybe some smaller stories, not so dramatic. When a middle school girl, when a middle school girl hears her friends talking about her behind her back, instead of joining in, has a subtle and small prayer that only can be heard by God. And she says, Lord, I pray for my friends that they would know your love. When a coworker doesn't seek revenge after another coworker throws him under a bus for a mistake that he had made. When a sibling chooses to give up the remotes even when his sibling doesn't deserve it. All of these examples from Paul to Jim Elliott's family to the middle school girl to the sibling show a remarkable faith of someone being able to love your enemy. 
Like I said, tonight's passage is, is not hard to understand. Jesus' words here are pretty clear. The hard part about this passage is actually living it. Last week we looked at how Jesus talks about that the people in his kingdom, the people who bow the knee to King Jesus, are not people who are loose with their words. They are people who are remarkably truthful. Matter of fact, Jesus says you should be truthful to the point of pain, that it might cost you something. And more than that, Christians, people who follow Jesus, are people who don't retaliate. As Christians, we are to be people who are not known for having to have to have the last word. We are not known for an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But matter of fact, we are to give to those who ask. And if that wasn't hard enough, Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear that those who were to call themselves Christians, to those who live in the kingdom of God, are to be so different because they are to be people who love their enemies. Love is a very interesting word, is it not? There's so many different uses of the word. I love Taco Bell. I love the Seahawks. I love when the trees change colors. I love my daughter. You know, we, we use the word love for a lot of things. As a matter of fact, it's a cultural phrase right now to hear something along the lines of love is love. Where we define love as simply just whatever you think it means for you. And so when we, when we hear this command that we should be loving people, that Christians are to love others, right? As long as I've been a Christian, I've always heard these two commands in conjunction with each other. Love God and love others. And the problem, I think, with this familiarity of this command of, of love your enemies and love your neighbor as yourself is that we fall exactly into the type of thinking that Jesus exposes right here. That we think just because we are kind and nice and forgiving to people who are easy to be kind and nice and forgiving to, that we're doing okay. We think that just because the people who are close to us, our friends, that for the most part, we're pretty good friends to them, that we have the whole love thing locked down. But what Jesus is teaching us in this passage tonight is he's actually saying, guess what? If you don't actually learn to have this type of love for the people where it is the hardest to show it to, you don't really understand what it means to be in my kingdom. And if I can't even make a bold assertion here, that if we don't learn to have a type of radical, reorienting, culture-opposite love, I don't think we understand the gospel. Right now, in our Christian kind of nomenclature, there's this big kind of unspoken 
but large presence of a kind of, it's us versus them. No one actually comes out and says it, but there's this, this air, there's this like, this air that we breathe that's in Christian culture where it's us Christians versus all of them out there in the world. Maybe it's a Christian movie that portrays a Christian and he's in a classroom and everyone is hostile to his faith and they're trying to make him feel, you know, like he's stupid or narrow or, or bigoted or, you know, and, and this Christian has to kind of defend himself and it's, again, it's, it's, it's him versus all the people who don't believe in God. Right? It's the people who listen to Christian music and it's those who don't. And so there's this culture of, of us versus them. There's almost a sense in which Christians at times, we fear people. We fear those who don't talk like us. We fear those who may actually use the little four-letter word that begins with an F and ends with a K. We find ourselves judging people because they don't live up to the ideals and norms that we want to live up to. We find ourselves in positions where we want to win, where we want to have power over other certain people groups. And all of that goes against Jesus' command here, that we should love our enemies. What does it mean to love someone? Right, love nowadays is synonymous with let them live however they want to live. Right, if I, apparently if I'm to love Neil, that means that anything he wants to say or do or feel or believe, I should let him have his truth. That's very loving. It's very accepting. Right? So what, is it, what does it actually mean to love your enemies? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, I think through the, through the veneer and on the surface, we, we, we all know that it's not loving to let a kid only eat candy for every single meal. <laughs> right? We know that it's not loving to never tell someone no. Even you, when you get mad at your parents, when, when you think they should just say yes and they say no, even you deep down know that you shouldn't get your way every time. And although we can't talk about all the ways of what it looks like to love your enemy, let me at least say this as we move through this great portion of Scripture. The love that Jesus has in mind is not primarily an emotional love where I have these warm, fuzzy feelings and this emotional type of, I just love you. But rather, the type of love that Jesus has in mind here when he says love your enemy is a volitional love. It is not so much, don't be concerned about whether or not you love your enemy or your neighbor. It's rather, be concerned about actually doing it. The love that Jesus has in mind here is actually doing things for your enemy. And so there's a lot of questions that are raised. There's a lot of ways we could dive into this passage and explain it. There are a lot of different nuances of how do Christians love the world? How are we to love them with a redeeming love, but not kind of be in the world, right? How do we understand Jesus' words here when clearly other parts of Scripture talk about how God hates the sinner, 
And so with all that in mind, with all these questions, I want to do my best to try to summarize all of what we can kind of grab from this passage where Jesus says, love your enemies, <clears throat> by understanding this one main point. So I can summarize everything. Here's what I think Jesus is teaching us. As our perfect heavenly Father shows love, those who belong to him should show love as well. Just as God is perfect in his love, we also, those who are his, show love as well. And so that leads us to our first point. Loving our enemies is a sign of our conversion. Loving our enemies is a sign of our conversion. So look back down with me at verse 43, would you? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now what's interesting is that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy is in quotations. So Jesus is quoting what the people of the day would say, what they believed. Now what's very interesting is you cannot find any verse in the entire Bible that straight up says, hate your enemies. So you kind of wonder, where did they come up with this idea that it's okay to hate your enemy? And there's a few kind of distortions that happened through the hundreds of years of the Old Testament law kind of being passed down from generation to generation. One of those distortions is that they would read a verse in Leviticus that would say something along the lines of, make sure that you love all of the brethren. And they would say, by implication, that means that we should not love anyone who's not of the brethren. And so that kind of led the Israelites to have this kind of mentality of everyone who's a Jew, we need to love. But everyone who's not a Jew, we hate them. So you have these people called the Samaritans. And they're kind of like these mud bloods cross of like Assyrians and, and former Jews. And then you also have the Romans. And you had all these Greek merchants. And the Jews were constantly hostile to anyone who was not like them. And they said, we need to love the brethren. We need to love the fellow Jews. But if you're not a Jew, they're our enemies. There's a story where Jesus is preaching through a town and James and John, they weren't listening to Jesus. And James and John says, hey, hey, Jesus, should we pray that fire and brimstone come raining down on the Samaritans? <laughs> Whoa, guys. Take it easy, right? But that, that kind of demonstrates that the air that they breathed back then, that if you were not a Jew, you were to be hated. You were to be despised. And this is why even Jesus' words at the end of Matthew's gospel are such a big deal. Jesus says, make disciples. And guess what? He's not just thinking of Jews. And he's not just thinking of Jews because he says, of all people. Everyone's in now. And so what is happening here is not just a distortion of some, of some commands, but it's the distortion of the culture they live in, where they became so isolationist that they honestly thought that God wanted them to hate people who weren't like them. And so Jesus says very quickly, hey, you have heard that you should you know, love your neighbor, and hate your enemies. 
But I say to you, look what he says in verse 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think Jesus gives the example of those who persecute you because the worst kind of enemy is the enemy who is literally trying to persecute you. If I'm being honest here, there's not a single person in this room who probably has a true enemy. And by true enemy, I mean someone who is actively, aggressively trying to harm you physically. Maybe you do. If you do, let me know. I'd like to help in a practical way. But can I be honest for a second? I think an enemy of someone who is working against you is a lot more common than you think. Sometimes we even have friend enemies, sibling enemies, parent enemies, leader enemies. Or maybe not every single day they're working against you, but you might find yourself in a season or a moment or in a day where someone is working against you. Where someone has sinned against you and they, they have kind of not been loving or kind or patient with you and they've worked against you. Jesus says this, don't hate love. Love your enemies. I find that very fascinating. Very fascinating. I think what's so fascinating about it is we live in such a culture right now which is all about <coughs> inclusion. Be a, I, mean, I see teachers all the time. Be a good human being. The, the guy Chipotle shirt said a few days ago, right? I see shirts and hats that say, be nice. Just be a good person. And again, the question that always needs to be unraveled is, is what is your definition of nice? What is your definition of kind? What is your definition of love? What do you actually think love looks like? And without a true understanding of all of those things, you're just kind of making up what you think is good and kind. But Jesus here, when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he is giving us a kind of a value statement here. He's saying, you guys think that it's okay to treat people who don't like you however you want. Because in essence, what they were doing here is they were finding anyone who didn't kind of, they didn't break any law, but just anyone who they had a, they had a pet peeve against kind of became their enemy. And what Jesus is actually doing is he's not trying to give every example of what does it look like to love. He's actually saying this, and here's the point, and this is the point I mentioned earlier. Learning to love people who don't love you is a sign that you're truly converted. It's a sign that you're truly a son or a daughter of God. It's a sign that you are actually a Christian. Because look at the example he gives, right? Look at verse 45. And he gives this purpose statement. He says, okay, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that. Now he's not saying, hey, if you want to become a children or a daughter or a son of God, that you better love your enemies. What he's actually saying, if you learn to love people who are your enemies, you are reflecting your true identity of a child of God. And so he says, so that you may be sons of your father, who is in heaven. So we all know that the children should resemble 
should look like their parents. Right? I, I hear all the time, man, your kids look just like you. Right? Or, or someone else said, man, I cannot believe how much your youngest daughter looks just like her mom, Amy. Right? Now, what if I had four daughters and one of them was like half black and had a fro? Right? And they were like two feet taller than the rest of their siblings, right? You'd be like, this is my biological child. No, bro. That's not how that works. Right? And then, you know, I don't know. Who knows? I'm just saying, who knows? One day you're in my neighborhood, you see the guy delivering the mail, right? And you're like, that guy's he's tall. Right? Did you see how, like, family resemblance, right? But no, that's not the case in my family. My kids do look like me. And in the same way, it is good to hear, because it's true. All right, I'm not assassinating my wife's character here. Like, she's a woman of respect. Look what he says in verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father. And he gives an example here. Look what he says. For he, referring to God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In essence, he's saying this. Your heavenly father, guess what? He shows common grace to the people who love him and to the people who hate him. Do you guys realize that every single day when God lets the universe continue to run in such a way where we can still live life, he's being kind? Every day when he allows the earth to continue to revolve around the sun, when he sends rain, another common grace that the Lord gives to humans is government. That you can live in a land in which there's access to you know, the free market and you can get an education, you can have roads. All of these things, guess what? Everyone is a benefit of it. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, guess what? There are a lot of people who war against God. There are a lot of people who make God their enemy. There are a lot of people who have no clue about who God is and they just want to reject him and not believe in him. And guess what? The Lord is still kind to them. And if you are anything like your heavenly father, here's what you will do. Show the same kindness to your enemies that your heavenly father shows. The reason why this point is so hard, because ingrained in every single person's heart, including my own, is that the second someone does something against you that's against you, your natural instinct, whether it be in your heart or in your actions or in your words, is to be against them. If someone makes fun of you, if they make you look like a fool, your instinct in your heart is to be bitter, to be angry, to be mad. If someone truly does something that's against you, like an enemy would, would you the next day actively go out of your way to work for their good? And I'm saying without the help of Christ, you never would. You never truly would. And so what Jesus' point here, what he's saying is, is learning to actually 
fight for the good and love the person who is unlike you is actually resembling your heavenly father. There's this quote by John Stott. He says this. The truth is that evil men should be the object simultaneously of our love and of our hatred as they are simultaneously the object of God's wrath and his love. To love them is to ardently to desire that they will repent and believe and to be saved. To hate them is to desire with equal ador that if they stubbornly refuse to repent and believe, they will incur God's judgment. Have you never prayed for the salvation of wicked men? Men who blaspheme God or exploit fellow humans for profit as if they were animals? And gone on to pray that if they refuse God's salvation, then God's judgment would fall upon them? I have. It is a natural expression of our belief in God that he is the God both of salvation and of judgment and that we desire his perfect will to be done. You see, if we're not careful, we can start going down this rabbit trail of love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. And there's this question that begins to rise up. What about the judgment? What about evil men like Hitler? What about men who, who traffic children and women? We just love them, put our arm around their shoulder, kumbaya. No big deal. And so the sense in which, again here, like the Bible in the Old Testament clearly talks about how God hates the sinner. He hates the person who loves violence, right? I mean, Psalm 11, verse 5, the Lord approves of the godly, but he hates the wicked and those who love to do violence. And so as Christians, what does it look like to love your enemy? Well, one, it looks like a way in which we still pray for them. We pray that they would repent. We pray that they would believe. We don't work against them. We allow the Lord to enact a vengeance on them. However, at the same time, we can hate what they do. We pray that the Lord would save them and repent, but if that doesn't happen, we do pray that the Lord would right all those wrongs. And so it's interesting that this, this passage is it's not an easy one to live in this balance, right? But if I'm being honest, a lot of the enemies that we have are not the kind of big injustices typically, are not huge sins. And so my question for you tonight is this. Do you reflect the same love that God shows the world and the love that he shows you to your enemies, to the people who work against you? What is your typical response to people when they work against you? What are the feelings and the, the bitterness in your heart reveal about how you love people? Because ultimately, how we love people who work against us show us whether or not we truly know God. My second point is this. Loving our enemies should be counterculture. Do me a favor, look down at verse 46. Last point. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. The funny thing is, is I'm pretty sure every single person in this room thinks that they are morally better than the person who's in the mafia and who kills people, right? But what's interesting, what Jesus is saying here, if I can modernize it, even the person who's in the Italian mafia, who's a hitman, even he loves his own mom. Even he loves his friends. Even he loves people who are nice to him. He's saying, the world, every, it's not hard for anyone to actually love someone if they love you, right? If you have friends who are constantly just like, you know, thinking like, you know, pouring praise on you, bringing you things, they're gracious, kind, they want to be your friends, they're cool, they're easy to hang out with. If those are the only people you could be loving to, Jesus is saying like, that, that is indicative of everyone, But do you know what's indicative of Christians? That we love people who are really hard to love. I find this point probably the hardest point to live. You know, just think about it. This week, you know, we go home, we we tell ourselves we're Christians, we think we're Christians. But just, just, I encourage you, this week, keep track. How long does it take you when you get home tonight to begin to feel a little animosity towards maybe a parent or someone in your family? How long will it take you to talk back? How long will it take you to get easily annoyed or angry at someone? How long will it take you this week to have bitter thoughts or gossip in your heart? How long will it take you to to flatter someone, something that you'd say to their face but never behind their back. Jesus says you, you got to be different than the world. If you were only kind to the people who are kind to you, I, I think I shared this illustration a, a few weeks ago. I had this, you know, this, this young guy was discipling and he straight up just told me, I'll summarize it, he's like, I only respect the people who respect me. And he straight up just said the words. He's like, respect is earned, man. It's, it's, it's earned. And the only thing I could say is praise God. Praise God Almighty those words aren't true. Because if they were true, we would all be doomed. Because if God sat there and waited to love us and to respect us until we respected him, he would be waiting a long time. He would be waiting forever. As Christians, we, of all people, know that these words should be true. Do you want to know why? Because we are God's enemies by nature. We, in our very heart, don't ever care about what God wants or his will. We always live on our own will. We do what we want to do. But yet God, in his love, while we were sinners, he died for us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, guess what he did? He made us alive in Christ. And so that's why Jesus says, if you're in my kingdom, if you are my follower, you are the first person who ought to know that if you only love those who love you, that you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand your own salvation. 
And so I think most of you right now, you feel like, okay, Aaron, you're right. I don't, I don't love as well as I should. I need to do better. You're right. I, I'm really bad. I, I only like my friends. And if you're not my friend, I don't really like you. Okay, I get it. You're right. I need to try harder. I'll be a more loving person. I promise. Oh, I got bad news for you, though. If that's what you think. Look what he says in the last verse. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, again, Jesus is saying here, you must resemble your Father. When you become a Christian, your identity completely changes. You are no longer primarily known as Aaron, son of Dan and Sharon. Right? I, I am a child of the Most High King. I, I am I'm a son of my heavenly Father. And because he is perfect, I must be perfect. And ultimately, guys, here's the thing. We all know on our own, this is impossible. But here is, guys, here is the beauty of the gospel. Can you imagine, a, can you imagine someone who never once returned an insult? Can you imagine a person who never once, even when he had enemies, had an ill thought about them? Can you imagine someone who, when they were actively killing them, he prayed for them? Can you imagine someone who never once retaliated, never once flattered someone, or gossiped about them, or worked against them? Who never once got annoyed with how someone was driving? or people being slow in the grocery line, or people not following the orders that, that he gives. Man, I, just, I just can't tell you like how far I am away from Jesus. He never, not once, hated anyone. He completely loved. And, and here's, here's the beauty of the gospel. That he took upon the cross all of our sins. And by faith, you know what he does? He gives us his perfect righteousness. He gives us, it's ours, it's in, it's in our bank account, you could say. It's our credit, it's our righteousness. But here's the thing about Jesus, guys, listen. He is slowly, every single day, changing us to become what he has already made us. He has made us perfect in the eyes of God. In Christ, we are perfect. But guys, listen. Every single day, we are learning to be more and more like him. We are learning to understand that when someone is working against me, the best thing I can do for them is to pray for them. Is to pray that they will repent. You know, I... I can only use one illustration from my own kids and my own life. I have children, and with all my heart, I cannot begin to tell you how much I love my kids. I love watching them grow up. I love watching them trick-or-treat. I just, I just watch them from a distance. I'm amazed as they learn things, and they begin to tell jokes, and they um, pull pranks on each other and all that. I just, I just love it. Nothing hurts my heart more, though, when I see them sin. 
when I catch them in a lie, when I see them out of anger strike someone, when they steal a cookie, even though it's harmless in a way, in their heart there's rebellion and it breaks my heart. It just, it, it hurts to see them sin and here's why. Because their sin is not primarily against me or against their sibling or against their friend or their teacher. Their sin is against God. And for that sin, they will one day have to give an account. And so when I, when I, when, when I struggle, when I see other people sin, and maybe they're sinning against me, my temptation is always kind of to write them off, to in my mind think less of them. Oh, they're stupid. Well, what do they know? Oh, that, that kid, he's just a pill. However we would say it, right? You're an egg. You're an egg. <laughs> but here's the thing. The more I remember the gospel and how Christ has treated me, can you ever imagine Jesus looking down from heaven and saying, oh man, that Aaron, he's a pill. What an egg. Aaron did it again. When will he get it right? You know, he grabbed the Apostle Paul and said, look at this loser. Look, he's butchering your, your, your letter, Paul. No, no, no. No, no, no. Never does that. Do you know what he does? With love and compassion. He, he woos me back with his love. And he says, hey, Aaron, my grace is sufficient for you. Aaron, I love you. Aaron, there's a better way. And so the more we are with Jesus, guess what? The more we become like him. I cannot tell you how important this message is right now because we live in a day and age with cancel culture, with just how divided the nation is, with how quick it is just to kind of make fun of people you know, the same old things that I grew up with are, are, are alive and present today, where it's just so easy to be mean and to be hostile. But Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We do this because this is how we've been treated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us the strength to do these things. Oh, Lord. We confess that we need uh, Jesus. We need him now more than ever, Lord. We pray that we continue to feast on the good news of the gospel. That you have loved us, your enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I, I pray for these students. I pray Lord, that they would, they would truly consider their own heart, consider their their small loves, Lord. And I, I pray, Lord, that they would find the faith and the, and the courage to truly love those who work against them. And so, Lord, this week when they are tempted to fire back insults, when they're tempted, Lord, to be disrespectful even when they feel like their rights are being trampled on, Lord, help them to, re, to be reminded of just how much you have loved them and respected them even when they didn't deserve it. And so, Lord, we, we confess and, and we know in our heads, but help us to believe in our hearts that all true change happens with our union with Christ, with remembering the good news of the gospel. 
Bless us now as we go. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.